In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Meditation and self-reflection are big business today. Today, more than ever, we hear people speak to us and motivate us using internal retrospect, looking at our soul, looking at ourselves, using self-meditation and guidance. In every facet of life, there are problems. There is nothing wrong with absolutely looking at ourselves and reflecting on ourselves with some sort of idea of self-help improvement or even meditating on things that we have done or left undone. However, the next time that you listen to your favorite podcast or YouTuber who is talking about self-reflection and self-motivation, see whether or not they talk to you about how much you should love your neighbor as yourselves. It's rare. Love your neighbor as yourself, says the scriptures. That is, after all, the great commission of the church, to love your neighbor as much as you love yourselves. Loving your neighbor as yourself seemingly has gone on to the wayside. Now we are embedded in a world that's all about me. Me, 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 me. As Homer Simpson likes to say, when is anybody ever going to understand what me stands for other than my enjoyment? What's in it all for me? That's the world you live in. It's all about you, all about me, and everything else that can happen to me, for me, and by me. Then Paul comes along today in Philippians, and he throws a wrench into the well-oiled machine of me. He says, have this mind amongst yourselves. You, everybody gathered here together as the church, whether it's in Philippi or whether it's here in Little Rock, have the same mind as you gather together. Paul uses these words about your thoughts and about your minds and what's going on in your heads several times in Philippians chapter 2, which we've been given today. The first part of the chapter exhorts us as beloved Christians, and you think maybe it'd be something about what we can do or what it is that we can have for ourselves, but he says very plainly, don't think about yourself first. Think about your neighbor, especially those in your congregation, those whom your mind is shared in your baptism, in your being called a child of God. Why? because you have been called by the gospel to believe these things. Your thinking really does shape the way that you're living. When my father was diagnosed with cancer, one of the things that his oncologist told him, she was a very devout Christian, one of the things that she told him was, what this does, the rest of the body will do. If you think that this is gloom and doom, if you think that this is the end, your body will follow suit. If you think that I can get through this, if you think about the things in terms of positiveness, in terms of medication, and the ability to move forward with treatment, your body will respond and will react in a positive way. I'm sure there are some nurses and physicians in here who would agree with that statement. What you think really shapes how you live. How you think about things changes the way that you feel about things, and the way that you behave around others. Have this mind amongst yourselves. Changing your mind 
can actually change your life. Sounds like pastor's getting into some Norman Vincent Peale here today or some power of positive thinking. But the problem is, is that you and I think about ourselves so much all the time. What's in it for me? In fact, when you go to seminary, to pastor school, one of the first things that they teach you in preaching class is to always preach to yourself first. So everything I'm telling you up here, I'm saying to myself first. Why? Because I have to make sure it's relevant to me, not just you. At the end of the day, I'm just as selfish and self-introspective as anybody else. And I'm sure you've come in here today wanting something to experience for yourself as well. What's in it for you is you sit down and listen to this guy sit and talk to you for a few minutes. Why is it worth your time? That's not to say that there's nothing in it for you, of course. There is. But how can we stop thinking about ourselves first? There are many reasons that we come here. And one of them is simply because that there are others with the same baptismal mind as you and me. There are others here who need to see you, whether you think about that or not. Your mere presence here means something. There are others, even those that you might even look at and say, I'm not going to speak to them, who need to see that they are not alone in this faith. You're the encouragement. You're the support. You're the common mind amongst each other. This is why we keep a liturgical calendar even with some of these saints' days on it. We don't really have patron saints, so to say, but the idea is really solid. Peter is a wonderful example. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we say, yes, that's a way to go, way to give a solid confession. But then on Good Friday, we're going to hear him deny that Jesus is the Christ to a little girl around a charcoal fire, and he does it three times. We can look at people like Peter and say, this is not about you and what you're trying to do. This is about the grace of God overflowing for all of us, even when we get it absolutely right or we royally mess it all up. There was ever a consolation for me in my failures as a Christian. Peter says, I got your back. I'm right there with you. Perhaps even more so than that, though, is that We have one another. When you are missing from here, the church is also missing you. It is such an encouragement to see all of you here today, isn't it? I don't think there's anybody of us who sit here to say that I don't like seeing all these people here. Try to think of somebody else for once, especially about when you come here and participate here. Not just here, though, but for the rest of your life as well. Why? Because that is the mind of Jesus, the mind that we have amongst ourselves. He existed in the form of God, but did not think that this was something to wield as some great power or motivation. Jesus does not sit there and say, look at me, walk on the water. Now you guys go ahead and try to do the same. Because if I go out to Lake Mamel, I'm going to sink. 
Jesus does not use his divine godliness against us. He does not use it to his advantage. There's even a strange word here in the Greek that Paul uses to talk about this. It's arpagmon. I had to pronounce that ten times this morning. Arpagmon. You wouldn't know it if it was right or not, right? Our Pogmon only happens once in the entire Bible, and it's right here today. Our Pogmon basically means using something for your own advantage. Jesus, even though he is true God, does not use his power or his authority to his own advantage, and moreover, he doesn't use it against you. But he uses it for you kind of a wild, crazy thing, isn't it? That God comes to serve us rather than to be served. His godliness is what enables him to take on the form of a slave and be completely obedient, and he empties himself of body and soul for you. This is not some moralistic example that we try to somehow follow or imitate. This is somebody who literally changes your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. This is literally somebody who changes your mind from being on the cares and thoughts of the world or even yourself into the mind of God and the things that are promised to come. He never uses his godliness for himself, but for others, for you. As we started this long journey of Lent, we found him starving in the wilderness. He doesn't sit there and say, oh, look at me, poor Christian. Look at how hungry I am. He's starving and has the devil on his back, and yet he abides by the word of God for you. When he's facing death, as we'll hear about in a few short days on Good Friday, he does not call down the angels and the powers of heaven, even though he's the Lord of heaven and earth, of heavenly armies. He prays for you. He has you on his mind. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He submits himself and completely empties himself to the law of God, which he himself wrote. He lays down his life with you in mind. When Jesus comes amongst us, he doesn't come as a dictator or a king, but as a slave. And when he died on the cross, that punishment was known even as a slave's punishment. Brutality was thrown all upon him because he did not do what we thought he should do with our own self-interests in mind. They wanted him to be king because he gave people food to eat, raised the dead, and healed the sick. We would like for him to give us what we want right here, right now, because we believe in him, because we're here, and because we think we deserve it. The people in the streets praising Jesus with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna know exactly what they're doing that day. They know that Jesus has power. But because they saw Lazarus raised from the dead, because they were thinking of themselves, they thought the same would happen for them. They're not wrong. I mean, they were oppressed by the Romans. 
They did have a rival ruler who put them in danger, but they thought it was worth to look at Jesus and say, now give us what we want. We are no better. That is why Paul says today, have this mind amongst yourselves. Let it be restored and renewed each and every time you come to this place. Palm branches and Hosanna, Santa's covered those streets of Jerusalem. Palms for victory, Hosanna's for salvation. But only a few days later, Jesus would be raised from the dead after he himself would die. His life is drained, given to the whole world. He has become a slave to you, to your sin, and to your death. He has done what no one else could do or would do for you or even think to do. Even though every knee in heaven and on earth shall bow down and confess he is Lord. And so with us here today, we come to this place self-reflecting, meditating on what God has done, even reflecting on the fact that we're so concerned about me and my enjoyment. But with palm branches in your hands and hosannas upon your lips, we see the same Jesus who rode on a donkey, humble, and coming to you in bread and wine at this table. In this Eucharistic feast, we will sing in a few short moments, Hosanna, Lord, save us now. And he does, as he says to us, take, eat, take, drink. This is my body and blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Even with all of this here today, he is focused and has his mind set on you. And as we enter Holy Week, we take a step back and ponder truly and focus on how much Jesus really is focused on you. And all of that, we receive our king who came not to serve, or came not to be served, but to serve you and give up his life as a ransom, all with you in mind. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.